Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back, NHL edition. LeBron, Rashog, and Mike Johnson. Yes, MJ, right out of the Maple Leafs booth and into the podcast studio, uh, getting set to join Pierre and I to break down an eventful day in the National Hockey League on Tuesday. Jesper Bratz from the New Jersey Devils, our guest. Fantastic interview. And some really interesting thoughts from Jesper Bratz on the mental side of the game. You know how much effort this guy puts into making sure that his head is straight? You'll be impressed. Real open discussion with New Jersey Devils forward Jesper Bratt. Got your back, NHL edition, is always brought to you by our proud title sponsors, Kuma Outdoor Gear, where they've got a wide range of gear to fit all your needs, from tents and sleeping bags and travel games, pet products and drinkware. I know that the LeBron Pup has some of those pet products. And boy, do they ever love their new switchback heated chair as well. The world's first chair heated uh, by Bluetooth technology. They have dual heat zones in the seat and the back. You can micro adjust from your phone. It's crazy. Super comfortable, portable Kuma gear is available across North America. Go to kumaoutdoorgear.com to find a retailer near you. Gentlemen, that's as busy a day as you'll have in the National Hockey League. What, what do you got, Johnny? Shaggy, what do you got? You're, you're talking about the, you're, ter- you're talking about the Bluetooth seated heated seat, and I can't help but think of my dad growing up. His seat, you know, when you like your parents, your dad, like he's got his chair where he sits in the TV room. That's his. Yeah, yeah. His was like a recliner. You got a picture like 1982, a recliner that had a heated seat component, and it was always a battle to get in there when my dad was away from the house. I'm like, I want the heated seat. You can flip it on, <laughs> not via Bluetooth, of course, but it just made me think of. My dad in that chair watching hockey, kick back, dog on his lap with the heat on his back. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's I couldn't help but smile. You think about the ways you guys could have messed with him with the Bluetooth. You could have been turning it on and off for him. <laughs> it, it's like today, my parents would have no idea what was going on. I'm like, what's happening here? It's broken. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it, that's awesome. Trouble. You know, it's funny. My memory is that my parents were rarely in the same room watching hockey because my mom had to go to a different room to watch her Leafs where my dad watched the Habs. So we had separate really? TV viewing every Saturday night in our house. And wow. I would visit room to room, take care of mom, take care of dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And which was longer suffering? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, my mom, the poor Leafs. I mean, yeah. they, they, uh, they destroyed her heart many times. Yeah. yeah. Whoever gets the bigger room has ever won the cup more recently. So the Canadians had the big room and the Leafs were the back office. Yeah. The better TV with yeah, the clearer the picture, TV, right? Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, quite the day in the National Hockey League yesterday, gentlemen. They gave this, this staggered start, 16 games, frozen frenzy thing a go. Kind of an interesting concept. Although, don't mention that to Derek Lalonde. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I don't know, Johnny, you were you were actually doing a game, so I don't mm-hmm. know how much you were able to consume of the night. So, Pierre, maybe we'll start with you as a guy that I know sits and watches a pile of hockey. What did you think? Every team in action staggered starts. Yeah, the one thing that that hits me, because you know I, I was watching it from Toronto here where I live, is that it was obviously more of an experience meant for the U.S. audience, right? Am mm-hmm. I right? Because ESPN yeah, for had sure. this whole ESPN production. Built. And, ESPN yeah. and in Canada, it didn't really... I mean, hockey fans, I think, were excited, except that unless you had center ice, you basically didn't take part, right? I mean, obviously, we yeah. have center ice, part of our job, where we always have all the games, but... I, I noticed some dissension online uh, from social in so, on social media for some fans who didn't who don't have center ice you know don't pay for it obviously 
um, who felt kind of left out. So that would be number one. Hmm. I like the concept, but I think I'd rather see it on a weekend start in the afternoon hmm. and and yep. sort of stagger the games out that way than, than, uh, than on a Tuesday night. Yeah. You know what, though? Being down in the States, it was a different kind of experience because absolutely right. driven by ESPN. They wanted to have something, you know, the first few months of the season, unless you're an avid hockey fan, there aren't a lot of juicy storylines to bite into maybe because – you know, other things are going on. You got baseball, you got NBA opening tip off, you have football in full swing, you have hockey just starting. I think they wanted something to latch on to, to, to kind of promote. And it got a lot of press. Like they had the fact that they had it on with all those big sports going on kind of all night on their main networks tells you that they put something into it. So yep. in that sense for the American audience, it was a bigger deal. And as a player, I mean, I, I was batting lead off, right? I did the 6 PM game, the first game of the night, <laughs> As a player going to six, not so bad. Like you don't feel put out by that. It doesn't mess up your routine that much or it's 6.30 or 6.45 or seven. We'll talk to Derek Lalonde. But I mean, generally speaking, the stagger starts are not the worst. I thought it was a good idea in a kind of quiet part of the season in America to try to build some interest. Derek Lalonde, the quote is here. His team starting at 8.23, by the way. Mm -hmm. Puck drop at 8.23. Quote, absolutely awful. I get it in big picture, but I don't know why our fans who are loyal as can be have to come to the rink for an 823 start. My family is not coming. They're staying home because of it. So Derek Lalonde leaning into it. And this was a guy who not so long ago was working working for the networks. He was in the uh, media. Listen, there was always going to be an Eastern Conference team that was slipping late before he got to the Western Conference games and time zone. But, you know... One hour, yes, it does sound late and it does push it back and make it later for family and, and fans or whatever. But I think you look at the big picture. The effort was a big picture effort. And I think it was, yep. uh, but the only other part is this, this idea that it was a red zone, like every goal, like it's not a red zone. It's a highlight show. Yeah. Right. You know, it's what the NHL network does every single night. Like literally that's what the NHL network does. Bop around, live look-ins, show replays. But um, just not on ESPN, but it wasn't like a red zone. We're going to drop in and find the scores before they happen. It was just a, it was a replay show. I, I will say I had a couple of unsolicited uh, team executives reach out and complain about Go start the times. And, and part of the complaint, well, I got to be careful because uh, it was off the record, but, but basically one of the things I can share is that this, this day wasn't really Teams didn't really get a heads up on this as far as this, you know, months ago. Mm. It just, they got an email one day saying this is happening. Hmm. Interesting. So that, that was, that was one of the complaints, but, but it also shows you, you know, the power of ESPN, I think. And, and, right. you know, when ESPN has an idea and wants to go to the league with it, you know, things happen and, and that's, let's be real. That's realistic. I think the weekend afternoon start would have been better. You know, this is like, you know, I've been out West during the playoffs you know, uh, I think about the year I, I followed the Jets to the conference final in 2018, and the Jets in the first or second round had like 8.30, 8.45 p.m. Right. local starts because the TV is trying to make this all work, and often the central central time zone teams get hammered the worst on some of those things, you know. Um, but it wasn't just about start times. There were other complaints I heard. Anyway, you're never going to please everyone. I liked it. Been- I liked it yeah. as a non-player. I liked it. Yeah. And, and I like the fact that they're trying new things. Would have been interesting had had the other guys, Sportsnet, had some national games 
maybe you combine it with the idea that you get a whole bunch of Canadian matchups. And as you mm. said, Pierre, they start right. during the day. Maybe there's a Stanley Cup final rematch game, and then maybe there's some synergy between the two going back mm. and forth between the studios. Who knows? But a big, giant group effort might have been cool. But I like the fact that they were giving it a go. Okay, guys, let's get to some stuff, uh, other issues happening around the league. Let's deal with pride tape right off the top here, Pierre. You've been a loud voice on this right from the start. The National Hockey League releasing its statement, you know, after consultation with both sides and and, and all the, the stakeholders involved here, they decide to rescind that ban on pride tape. And thank goodness they did it. It was the right thing to do. Why did it have to come to that point, Pierre? What got so botched in this process? Yeah... You know, where do I start? I mean, listen, Kim Davis has done a lot of good work for the NHL ever since she came on board. Um, you know, from an inclusion perspective and an education perspective, you could really feel our imprints at the National Hockey League. But this is, I think, an example of where before the league went down this road, why aren't you reaching out to a, a Brock McGillis or from, from Alphabet or, or, or reach out to You Can Play, you know, reach out to people, you know, in that community and say, here's what we're thinking of doing. And, and obviously you're going to get quite a reaction, but also you might be surprised. You know, Brock McGillis is a thoughtful guy that understands that, you know, the league is a business and they have the business to run. But the fact that it has to be after the fact that some of these opinions come in and, and lead to better clarity and better judgment is what's disappointing. And, you know, thank goodness the right thing happened at the end of the day because it was such an overreach to begin with um, to ban pride tape and, and to ban any kind of, of, you know, putting stuff on your equipment or stick for any of the, of the causes. And, again, it, it, it's the process that is flawed there for sure. Um and a lot of things led up to it. I mean, you know, Marty Walsh got really hammered uh, the week that all this happened originally because he didn't come out and say anything, as you guys remember, the head of the NHLPA. And I was one of the, one of the people hammering him. But one of the things in, in, in retrospect that clearly has happened is that he was, he, was, he was after it. As soon as the backlash started, I think he realized the mistake. And he ignited a series of conversations with the league behind the scenes to get the ball rolling on how can we fix this? And a lot of that was from players reaching out to him and, and the back and forth. And so those meetings happen. And, and then you have other things, Travis Dermott having, you know, the courage uh, to put tape on his stick Saturday night, huge tipping point for sure, because the league was also aware by then that other players we're planning this at some point this season mm -hmm. leading up to their respective pride night for their team. Um, and then you have something like Scotiabank, a longtime NHL partner announcing Monday, they were donating 5,000 rolls of pride tape. Hmm. Like, yeah, come Strong on. You don't there. think that you think that fell on deaf ears. So all these things added up to the right thing finally happening, but uh, you know, why did it need to happen that way? Yeah, Johnny, can you give us the perspective from the player for Travis Dermott to do what he did? I mean, this guy's not an NHL superstar. This guy's right. on a two-way deal. Uh, clearly a man of his convictions, what it must have taken to just go ahead and do it anyway. Yep, because if you were whatever, any pick whatever best player in the league you want, and you did it, you know you're going to be not punished by it. And the punishment that it could be the worst punishment, be like, you don't get to play in the NHL anymore we send you to the minors or we sit you out, which Travis Dermott is part of his existence. So he, he was willing to, I guess, 
risk any of that backlash and, and just do what he felt he wanted to do to support an initiative that he feels very passionately in. And that takes a lot of guts. And I think that is very well respected around the league. But to me, the whole thing is like an unnecessary story. It didn't have, right. like, it doesn't make sense on any level that it went down this way. Yes, they cleaned it up. And yes, there was, PR just talked about how they did. Should never have even happened. Like, it seems like talk to the necessary stakeholders. Wouldn't they have talked to the players before they did this? And if the player's like, I'm doing it anyways, like, what are you going to do? You're going to suspend mm-hmm. 100 players right. for putting pride tape on? You're not. So if that yeah. was where it was going to go, you know, let, let, let's find a better path forward, which is obviously this one. It just seems so unnecessary at the time. And then the overcorrection to do it again, like to clean it up. And it just no need for it. But I give, I guess, specifically the players a little bit of credit because there was a real sort of undercurrent of a movement yeah. quietly, not publicly. Yeah. A player saying, I don't care. I'm doing it. Go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. Because they were basically going to call that you can't do, whether it's a fine or a suspension or whatever, to all of us. You can't. It'll be a worse look for the league. So in that sense, I give the players for Travis Dermott being the head of it. But a lot of players behind the scenes, as PR mentioned, saying, we're doing anyways. We don't care. And lots of players had different things to say about it. But even Connor McDavid, who was careful with his comments, but when pressed about it, would I like it to go back to the way it was? Yeah, I would. He was clear about that. And there were a bunch of players that were very clear about it. Whole thing felt pretty hollow to me, guys, after the announcement was made, this, you know, the story leaked that it was there was going to be a ban. And for days and days and days, there wasn't a shred of reporting on what the consequence was going to be. If right. the NHL was serious about this, we'd have heard about what the consequence was going to be. There never really was. Seems like they could never really wrap their head around that, Pierre. And the whole yeah, thing we're, felt we're, hollow to me because of that. Yeah, when I tried to find that out, it, it was really the sense I got was the league was taking a wait and see approach. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you know, and, and and we saw what happened. So anyway, I mean, listen, honestly, I don't know if I would have predicted that uh, we would that this would have resolved itself this quickly. To be quite honest, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought it would have taken months and and a bunch of players having to stand up, and, and the fact that it happened this swiftly, I, I'll, I'll take it. And if I'm not All mistaken, right. guys, I think it says in the rule book you're allowed to use any color tape you want. Like I think it's yeah. the rules. Yeah, there was uh, yeah some reporting on a little <laughs> where you, if you really want to dig down into what the rules actually say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, glad it got rectified. Right. Let's move on. And by the way, let's focus this season on the players who choose to wear right. pride tape when they're out there. Let's focus on the players who want to take that stand and send a signal that that message is important to them. That's my intention this season is to focus on the guys uh, who lean into the cause and give less breath, less attention to those um, who decide not to. Okay, the Edmonton Oilers, gentlemen, that's the first place we got to start here. 7-4 loss last night. I do have to say they brought way better stuff to the rink last night than they did almost every other night this season. They actually came and played the right way. It was as heavy a game as they'd played. But, man, did they ever blow both their feet off in the third period with all kinds of mistakes. So here the Oilers are, 1-4-1 and one start, 31st in the National Hockey League, second-worst goals against average at 4.5, second-worst save percentage for a Stanley Cup favorite for so many people. Johnny, if DEFCON 1 is the worst and DEFCON 5 is, eh, you know, it, we're, we're on alert, what DEFCON are the Oilers at right now? They're at 2, and and it's... And it's coming, it's going quickly. I don't know. I don't know. What just happened there? 
What just balloon. happened? Why I, were there balloons through your screen? I, I don't know. I don't know what I don't <laughs> Elf! Oh! <laughs> what, what is, is going, going on? on? You put a peace sign up and balloons float through your screen? I've never Do it seen it again. This There's no life. way. Do it again. That's what it is. It is DEFCON 2. I have no. Well, if you're not watching on YouTube. You got to go take a look at I'm this. I'm on a laptop right now. I don't do emojis and stuff on my. I don't even know what's so, happening. So, okay, well, I'm gonna try it. Did it do it for someone, me? Someone's in your computer, buddy. Oh boy, <laughs> oh, got you got gremlins. gremlins in your computer, pal. Anyways, I got DefCon Two on my computer right now as well. So it's it's a serious situation on a lot of fronts. You know, the McDavid injury is almost the least serious of all the stuff going on because he's gonna get back, and it's it's no good that he's not around, but. You think about, well, you mentioned the goals against and the goaltending statistics. They're ugly. Flat out, they're ugly. And that was going to be a concern, and it's proven to be a concern. Not every game, but often enough that it's a problem. They haven't scored a ton five-on-five five, other than last night, uh, even with McDavid in the lineup. You have the Evander Kane right. sort of rumbling and grumbling about ice time. You know, Connor Brown, their big acquisition, hasn't really fit in. He's been slid down to the third line quickly. Like, there's a lot going on there. And you think about, what is Vegas now? 14 points? And Edmondson's three. They're 11 points behind Vegas. Like, at what point Vegas, like, they're gone. Like, you know, trying to catch 11 points on Vegas is going to be a real challenge. They have, they're four or five more games, Shoggy, of this. If they're five points after right. 12 games, they're in a battle to make the playoffs. Like, that's how serious it is. And I had them winning the cup. I did as well, Pierre. That's how serious it is. They have a whole bunch of stuff to unpack. And I'm surprised it's gotten away from them like this, this quickly. I think all three yeah. of us did. Yeah, I know. I, I, I definitely did. Um, you know, I chatted with Oilers GM Ken Holland on Monday, and, and I get it. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to hear what you're going to hear, but I, he sounded pretty calm to me when we talked about his team start. Obviously, disappointed. That's the first word he used. I mean, he didn't think they'd have one win at this point in the season. But, you know, he pointed to a couple of things, and certainly one of them was that where they were offensively a year ago, number one, is not where they are right now. And and you would think that on its own, never mind the other issues which may or may not get fixed, but that issue presumably will have positive regression, right? I think we can all mm -hmm. agree. Yes. The other ones, who knows? I mean, they got to get more saves. I'm not trying to pick on Jack Campbell's George Skinner, but they got to get more saves. But the defensive breakdowns are pretty glaring too. Um, you know, it's like one feeding the other. Um, you know, those things, I'm not ready to sit here. Ryan knows the team better than, than you and I, Mike, but... I'm not ready to say 100% that there's going to be smooth sailing there. I am ready to tell you that this team is going to fill the net again. That's coming. Yeah, but they're going to be 33% uh, in the power play? I don't know. Like, that was the greatest all time. Right. Like, what if they go to 27? Like, that's a pretty significant drop. That's a 20% drop of their goals. Like, yes, like, there will be regression back to better, but will it regress back to last year, Pierre? I, I don't know because right. last year was sort of a – gold standard for that group in a lot of different yeah, areas. Yeah, I right? guess so, I meant more five on five. Yes, I yes. Be Cumulatively, but, yes, than they have been, but I don't know if they're going to be as good as last year, Ryan. You tell us. You're there. Yeah. Was it DEFCON like one plus plus? Like, how, what's it feel like? No, it's not, it's not DEFCON one yet, and they're doing their best to, you know, present as calm. The players are all, you know, it's early, it's early, right? If you're three games in, I think that hits. If you're four games in, okay, it hits. They're six games in now. They're a couple games away from 10% of the season being mm -hmm. gone. So it's early. There's no more time for that. And, and honestly, I think Jay Woodcroft has given players a lot of leash to try and find their game in the early going. It's time to start benching players flat out. Right. These individual mistakes, 
guys that are veteran players that are making individual mistakes. It's time for players ice time to start getting cut when they continue to make mistakes. Because you know what? It means rookies are going to play more and younger players are going to play more. But if the other guys are making mistakes anyway, who cares? If Evan Bouchard is going to make two to three bad defensive plays a game that result in goals, you got Philip Broberg sitting there mm. looking for more ice time. It's time for the accountability so, so, to smack these guys square in the face. So what you're saying is Pascal Vincent and Lindy Ruff were, would have already benched three players. if, if they were 100%. Well, the problem uh. is with McDavid's injury and him on him not going on LTIR, they're, aren't they just carrying 20 skaters? Yeah, yeah they were. They're, like, well, they were 11 yeah. and 7 last night, like, and that's all they have. They have. Yeah. Like, so you want to bench me, you have to send me the money. Like, you don't have another player to put in for me. I mean, you no, I'm not talking about scratching, right. Johnny. I'm not, they they don't have any players to right. scratch. I'm talking so, about some in game accountability. Yes. Right. Can, Which can is we different. talk about this? Can we talk about, I want to hear MJ's take on this. Can we talk about the psychological side of this? I mean, you, you, you play in the league a long time. I touched on this with Ryan last week, and I don't know. Like, it's just something I think about a lot with today's pro sports. But and it's funny. James Rutley and I were talking about this off air before doing insider trading yesterday. He's a big 49ers fan. They Name drop. Cowboys hey, Johnny. Ago. Pierre yeah. talks to James Duffy. No, but but here, here's the point. I'm going to bring it back to the Oilers. The 49ers crushed the Cowboys two weeks ago on a national game that felt like a playoff game, right? The 49ers are 0-2 since then. And one of the things that James and I talked about is, it, 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 you know, is it real that if you're a player on that team that you, there's this sort of letdown that, all right, we're the 49ers. Everyone loves us. I'm bringing it to the Oilers because players will always tell you, oh, we don't look up. We don't know what you guys predicted. We don't, you know, we don't read anything you guys say or hear what you say, which is complete bullshit. Because every single player has family, has an agent, has buddies. They all know that they were a popular pick to win the Stanley Cup. And what is the psychological part of that for a team that's never been there before to be that much of a prohib- prohibitive favorite? I, I think it affects you. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the idea you feel a little bit good about yourself and maybe like you're talking the finest margins in the NHL, right? So if you drop 1% right. or 2% of your focus or your execution, that's enough to even for a good team to stumble. But I guess the flip side would be if you are as good as you think you are and as we think you are, then that sort of psychological impact, whatever it might be, would not be enough to throw you off, would not be enough to linger long. It would not be enough to cause you to get results that are not on par with where your team's at. So, yes, but also no, because if you are that good, if you are a true Stanley Cup contender, you're better than this. And no matter what anyone says good or bad about you, it shouldn't really impact you that much because you know what's funny what would you say was the other team that had probably as many stanley cup picks as as edmonton uh in the east carolina carolina Carolina. Carolina. yeah yeah just saying they're they're bumbling out of the gates too (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know yeah fair point i mean they've never had it's it's not comfortable for them being a stanley cup favorite and they're getting probably some of it is getting used to that and not thinking about it, just just going out there and playing. I think there's probably something to and, that, the personality. And, and this, this is a crushed beer can league. Yeah. The, 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 the talent gap in the NHL is a crushed beer can. All I know is, look at the calendar, look at the numbers. It's tricky to make up 10 points, even with oh, 70 yeah. games left to play. Yeah. Like yeah. If they'd play the same way the next six games, Shoggy, like the math gets sticky. I still think they'll make it. 
And maybe they don't care if they make it third in the division or fourth or as a wild card or whatever. But the idea that they're going to be up at the top of the conference with Colorado and Vegas looking like they look, that's that's two weeks from sort of not really being part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While the quality of their game was better last night, Evander Kane counterpunched with a Gordie Howe hat trick after mm-hmm. the comments that he made the day before. So All you can do. He- He put up, right? He went out there and he put up. I know you talked about the save percentage, and that's fair, Pierre. Jack Campbell's second period was the best period he's played as an Oiler. He was unbelievable in the second period and an entirely wasted performance. But it's like in the third. But they gave up seven. I know. And they lost. And you're saying, like, if that's the case, he should not have to have a period like that in a game they lose in giving up you know, seven total goals. I guess what I'm though, Johnny, is you know how when teams are in the shitter and they're losing games – you know, that they deserve to lose. But then you, you can tell a team is turning right. the corner yeah, when they yeah. start to lose games where you're right. like, okay, I believe there, there's a chance they're entering that phase based on the quality of play. We'll see. They got the Rangers and then they got the Heritage Classic coming up on the weekend, all sans McDavid. So gut check time in Edmonton. Okay, guys, uh, we went a little long on those two elements. So the rest of the pod, we're going to play a little game. Zuby behind the scenes can add in the game show music that we know and love here. Mm-hmm. on the podcast is this or, or mj game? can just do whatever this? he did with his screen earlier you know I don't yeah know. mj show us the balloons <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> what is going <laughs> on oh no i'm gonna have to like i'm gonna have to dig into this i'm gonna call it yeah uh, after the show here you got a serious uh, issue going on with your laptop yeah at least it's only balloons that came up when you did that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly who knows what it could have been imagine that uh we're gonna play fill in the blank or a loose version of it. Doesn't really have any rules. I'm going to say stuff, and you guys take turns filling in the blank. Johnny, we will start with you. Jack Hughes. Oh, you can kill the music, Zuby. Uh, Jack Hughes, co-points leader. He's got 4-10 and ten already on the season. How about this? This from the Quizmaster. All 14 points are primary, primary points. And we know the Quizmaster loves those primary points. Mm-hmm. Based on this start, Jack Hughes will finish with blank number of points this season. He's going to finish with a hundred and eleven mm. and forty-three goals. He he's in all he's 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 after Connor McDavid, he's the most dynamic individual skater with the puck in the league. And, and he plays in a team that plays up tempo with talented players. He's got a trigger man now into Foley that can really finish, which he already had. He volume shoots, he puts up almost four or five shots per game. Pierre, he's one of the best players. He's gonna push over hundred for the first time, almost was there last year, didn't get it. And if McDavid stays hurt, he also might talk play himself right into the Hart Trophy. Hart Trophy conversation. Oh, I wondered if one of you would go there. P, what do you got? Well, I, you, Mike Johnson's stealing half my brain, um, which is that, uh, yeah. That means you got nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he wins at least the Art Ross. At least the Art Ross, if depending on how many games, you know, it doesn't sound too serious with McDavid, but it might be just enough for a guy like Hughes to uh, to, to stay ahead of him in the scoring. Um we asked Jesper Bratt this, Ryan, but do you think Jack Hughes is motivated at all that in terms of the media narrative, it, it feels like everyone is saying Crosby to McDavid, McDavid to Bedard, and no stops in between? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just saying. like, I don't know about that lineage, but I, he's motivated by like, hey, I'm one of the best players in the world. Like he's got that right. arrogance that I just love. Yeah, he walks love around it. at like oh, the yeah. tiny guy, but he's got a big – Aura yeah. that follows him around, and yeah. he should, and he should. I'll fill in the blank for you, Pierre. 120 points. Uh, by the way, we did okay. ask Jesper Bratt between the two Hughes brothers 
who's got more swagger. He had some great answers and told us an awesome story about what the rookie is doing in the locker room already. So stick around for that interview. It's coming up next. Be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Number two pick, Leo Carlson's development plan. Going to play, limit him to a couple of games a week, cut the ice time back, cut the games played back. He's on a strengthening program. Revolutionary stuff here from the Ducks. Johnny, Leo Carlson's development plan is? Innovative and annoying. Because I, I get trying to do new things to young players, but if he needs that much management, maybe he shouldn't be in the NHL. I don't know. Maybe he should be in Europe again where you have fewer games and you have more time off and more time to work out like you do in college, like I did in college. Like you're in the NHL. This load management, which I don't want to creep in the NHL, I find it annoying. And so would he. You know, Leo Carlson wants to play. He don't want to be out there like, oh, it's one of my planned day off. I'm riding a three-game point streak. I'm hot as a pistol. we got a big yeah. game. I don't um, get you know to play what? tonight. Uh, it's my uh, stretch and leg day. I can't play. <laughs> like, give me, like, not give me, a, like, I get trying something new and thinking long-term, innovative and annoying. I think I like what the Ducks are doing. I, I spoke with Pat Verbeek about it yesterday. And, you know, I didn't have time on insider trading to get into all the other things that Verbeek had explained as to give it more context. But basically they felt that his, his off season was, that he didn't have as much time that he will normally have to train between everything he went through last year, you know, world championships, playoffs, the combine, the draft. And, and they were a bit worried that, you know, he looked tired at development camp is what Pat Rubik said. And, and so they're trying not to overwhelm him. Um, We should be clear too. You said ice time, Ryan, there's no talk of limiting his ice time when he does play. He's a 20 minute player. Of course. Yeah. But they're limiting him to two games a week for the first two months of the year, Rubik said. And then they're going to reevaluate how he looks. Rubik wants him to be fresh and, and to be super impactful in the second half of the year. And Rubik said he remembers when he was 19, his first year in the NHL, he says he hit a wall halfway through the year. And he just feels that, you know, 18-year-old players, a lot of them aren't strong enough physically to handle the rigors of 82 games. Obviously, people are going to disagree. I mean, we're not used to seeing this in hockey. But I think this is the alternative to just sending him back to Sweden, or I guess he'd be allowed to play in the NHL because he's not a North American player. What they're saying is you get the NHL life, but we're going to bring you along slowly. It will be interesting if he goes on a bit of a heater, if uh, the team wants to win some games, if the coach is really going to lean into that development plan. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a big game. Division opponent, I'm not sure the standings will matter much to them, but we'll see well, how much they stick to it. That's a big part of this, too, let's be real. I mean, They're in a spot yeah. where they can be creative. Yeah, yeah. they can be creative. Uh, Pierre, you're more filling in the paragraph as opposed to the blank, so we're going to put the heat on you here. Uh, you're going to go first this time. Uh, Johnny's following the rules. Of the three undefeated teams, Vegas 7-0, Boston 6-0, Colorado 6-0. First time, by the way, that three teams have come out of the gate undefeated through six games. After 20 games, the best team will be, Pierre? Colorado. Because I do think that while I think Vegas is a decent shot to repeat, I do think the hangover effect often will come in a month into the season for cup champions. Colorado is rested. They're eager. I think the Bruins' lack of depth at center eventually catches up. Colorado will have the best record. Johnny? Yeah, I think so. I'm with Colorado. Sometimes I think what can drive teams through some of like not dog days, but you get into the meat of the schedule. And sometimes, you know, the third and four is just like superstars kind of kind of push you through. And what Colorado they have has those. more than Vegas is more superstars. <laughs> they have those. They have those. And I think that helps them, you know, in the next little bit. 
Joseph Wall, Johnny, will start blank number of games this season. 14 in his career. Stopped mm -hmm. 36 of 37, including 14 from Ovechkin in a 4-1 win. The narrative is he's starting to pull that starting job away. How many games? 41. They're going right. even Steven right down the middle, and they're going to play the hottest guy down the stretch and into the playoffs. I'm not going to I'm not going to throw a Samson off to year last year because he had a tough start to the season. It's only been a couple games. But Sheldon Keefe is certainly open to the idea of this being a competition and a merit-based assignment, and he's going to have uh, plenty of merit to, to get the start. So I'm going to say half to half for the regular season. I'll, I'll give Wall 50. Uh, while I agree the split's probably there in spirit, I think Samsonov has a history of injuries, and Wall mm. sort of ends up with more starts. Yeah, but you I think like about it. that resting thing we just talked about. If you've Wall's the playoff guy, you don't want him playing 54. Right. What's the magic number these days with the goalie community? Is I think it it's 52 and 30. 52, 52 and 30. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Craig Anderson, one-day contract he signs, retires as a senator. Did you see the opening face-off? Awesome. Two goaltenders. That was, Johnny? Tremendous goalie union approved. Uh, I loved it. I love that they signed him back. I like that they was against Buffalo, a team that he has familiarity with and he's involved with now. I like that his whole family was out there because that's been part of his journey. But I only wish the goalies dug in and tried to win the faceoff. I wanted to see them try to get those big twigs and snap one back. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. And, you know, again, first of many neat moments, I think, under new ownership, Michael Landlauer, right? I think, boy, I got a lot of Sens fans in my life, and they're pretty darn excited right now. Maybe a new skill at the All-Star game? Face-off competition between the goalies? No, we've, I, we're, onto something we, here. we've already tried to see them shoot. No more with the <laughs> goaltenders doing stuff. I thought just we agreed. Let's just cancel All-Star? Okay, uh, yeah. That's a, yeah, we're just, just shutting it week. down. Yeah. You wait, Pierre. We're gonna we're planning a whole special. Multiple podcasts around All-Star. Like, come on. No? I have a cottage. I don't know. I mean, it's got to be a way for me not to cover All-Star. Yeah, just leave here. town, Pierre. Yeah. Alex Ovechkin becomes the first player ever to 300 power play goals in his career. Bit of a quiz here. Who's second all-time? I mean, you would think Gretz, but it's not. Because that no. would be the obvious answer. Um, no. Would it be Brett Hall? No, really good answer, but no. I'm trying to think who's got a ton of goals. Yeah. Be Auger, be Hall, yeah. be Mess, be Gretz, be Mario, be Mike Probably Bossy. universally not quite yeah. appreciated for the goal scorer that he that he was in this way. Is there any way that it's Mike Gartner? No. Yeah. Two excellent guesses. I regret to inform you that had either of you gotten it right, your prize would have been a Kuma Outdoor Gear Switchback Chair. With Bluetooth heated failed. seats. I could have given to my dad. Dang. <laughs> But you both failed. Dave Andrichuk. Uh, I would have. Oh, yeah. You know what? I knew that. Yeah. 274. Yeah. Okay. Nikita Zadorov. Uh, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Scored him the tough way. Nikita Zadorov's comments the other day, if you didn't hear them, flames off to a tough start. He did a media scrum where he, he laid down some truth. We have too many individuals playing by themselves. So I think we just, we're going to figure out if we want to play as the team or we want to play as the home guy. Whatever. Daryl. No, there's no Daryl, so there's no excuses. You know what I mean? You guys don't like hard coaches, you don't like good soft coaches, you don't like good coaches, fair. Like, I mean, you just, it's a, it's a new day league, you know, you, you come up here, you play hard, and you just leave everything on the ice. I think that's, that's how simple it is. Mike Johnson, if you're uh -huh. a teammate of Zadorov, you are thinking 
blank. You talking about me? Yeah. And if what your you, teammate of his in no, listening but I, to that. No, but I, if I'm his teammate, I'm like, are you talking about me? Oh. You better not be. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm thinking, who the fuck are you to say that about anybody? Just worry about your own game and stop hitting me in the head with your breakout passes and we'll all be okay. Like that's the <laughs> sort of nitpicking that starts going on when you feel kind of taking shots at. And and yeah. Zdorov's a veteran. I'm not saying like, but okay, the playing as individual, other than being called soft, there's no worse criticism than being selfish in the NHL. And that's what he's calling his teammates. That's not good. And then we're like, you don't like, Daryl's not here. Where's your excuse? Well, it doesn't take a, you know, a, a genius to walk around the room and say, who didn't like Daryl and who's struggling now? And what, like, what is he trying to say about that guy? And whether it's Huberdo, whether it's young players, whatever, like this is the sort of conversation that goes on. It can either be healthy and spur like, Hey, we got to be better. Let's deal with it. Or it can get negative and be like sort of splinter and fracture the group Pierre. I thought that that was a, the most interesting comment by far was that Daryl's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. that's because you know that there was that's a pointed. Healthy, that's direct. There were a lot of players in that team that couldn't wait uh, to get rid of Daryl Sutter. And, and and that was the debriefing that Don Maloney made and ends up firing Daryl Sutter after Brad Tree Living quits the month before, like all the mayhem in Calgary last year. That is unreal because that kind of reveals to me that maybe there are some players who wanted a lot of players who probably want Daryl Sutter gone, but some who probably didn't. You know, not all on the same page there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And he thrived under Sutter. Like, if you think well, about where his game right, went. Right? He's the guy that would be like, I no. was good under Sutter. Somehow that makes me more resilient. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a conversation that they should have. I don't know if they will. Like, a strong room might have it as a group. A lot of rooms would have it at dinner in different little factions and get a little finger pointy, and then it gets troublesome. We don't have a gem of the day here on this podcast. I do that on my local podcast. The, the best thing of the day. Mm-hmm. Johnny, you saying, stop hitting me in the head with your breakout passes. <laughs> if we had a gem of the day, that would be the gem of the day. Maybe we okay, need to who, start. Who, 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 is that, who is that guy that of all your NHL stops, oh. who was that guy who hit you in the head the most on breakout? Jamie McCowan. Oh, my God. <laughs> if there was an over-the-glass rule. The guy would have had 10,000 penalty minutes. He was unbelievable. Cooter, I love that guy. But he was he had a wide open blade, and he didn't care. He's like, this puck's getting out. There was no frills. I'm not looking to make plays. I'm looking to make clears. And, like, Doug Gilmore used to put his glove on the end of his skate blade, like on his stick blade, and just skate around. Like, I can flag down your passes with my glove now because it's up here. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, okay, final one, guys. Uh, average attendance in Winnipeg this season, 11,823. 11,136 in attendance for Tuesday night's game against the St. Louis Blues. Darren Dreger uh, sat down with Mark Chipman. That entire interview will uh, be dropped on tsn.ca, I think, today, and, and on SportsCenter as well. So we encourage you to go and listen uh, to what he had to say. Quick got your back edit, made a mistake. The Darren Drager Mark Chipman interview drops on Thursday on TSN.ca. Now back to fill in the blank. But Pierre, the situation in Winnipeg surrounding the attendance is. Uh, it's worrisome. I don't think it's alarming. Um, I, I think it, it's 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 an important moment for for probably that market to acknowledge. I also want to say, though, that there are a lot of people, not just in Winnipeg, but around the league, uh, 
fans that have bigger things to worry about financially than, than paying for hockey tickets. And I don't want to get on a long tangent here, but it's one of the reasons why I'm not as convinced as most people that salary cap's going to go up every single year the next seven years, like a lot of people think. I think we're headed for some interesting, turbulent times in real life. Forget hockey, real life. And because of that, buying hockey tickets, which are expensive, aren't always top of mind for, for a lot of mm. families. And I don't, I'm not trying to sound all righteous about this, but it's not just Winnipeg. I think you're going to see this pop up in a, a bunch of different places this year. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident of that. Hmm. Johnny? I would say predictable um, because if you read the tea leaves last year, you saw some softening and you know the corporate base like the way the tickets are sold in winnipeg are different than some other big markets or canadian markets where there's a lot of corporations that prop up they kind of give them away though they're sold every game you're you're selling it to individuals people that be more inclined if other stuff's going on in the world or their life like pierre mentioned that might be something they pull back on so predictable um and concerning no question. Once again, that interview, uh, Mark Chipman and Darren Drager on tsn.ca dropping a little bit later on today. Uh, I think the game show went well. I, we might have to bring that one back. Yeah. Zuby, you can bring the music back in as we wrap up here. Johnny, you show us the balloons again. Let's oh, no. go. Oh, there they are. Let's if anybody go. knows what the hell's going on, send us a note like, at us on Twitter. What if you put up two hands of, of like peace? I don't know. Could left hands at work too? You can just put up the middle finger. No, don't do yeah, that. Yeah, what happens do if that. you throw up just the middle finger? Clean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clean. My you computer's go clean. Out. You we go thumb out that. on the bird, hey? That's I like the Maverick the middle finger. I think I saw MJ. I think I saw MJ point that finger to a golf ball after missing a birdie putt this summer. But <laughs> oh, that does come out occasionally. Yes. Uh, there we go. That's All right, nice job, guys. French. All right, guys. <laughs> nice job, guys. Johnny, we'll check in with you next week. Lots more to, uh, on the podcast here. We had a chance to have a, a good, solid chat, Pierre and I did, with New Jersey Devils forward Jesper Bratz. So, uh, Jesper, oh, sorry, Hard J. We clarified with him. Hard J, Jesper Bratz, uh, courtesy Kuma Outdoor Gear. Here is that conversation. Drafted in the sixth round in the 2016 NHL draft, number 162 overall, Jesper Bratt joins us. Jesper, of all players that were drafted in that season, though, where do you think you rank in terms of total points? Where would you put yourself of that entire draft class? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's it's a really hard question. I mean, so many, so many great players. And um, I don't know. Statistically, uh, though, just pure numbers. I don't know. Like it's, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to say. Obviously, probably a, a first rounder probably wouldn't be wouldn't be too uh, too hard to to say that I would probably squeeze myself into. But uh, other than that, it's hard. A lot of a lot of great players. So uh, I'll leave that up to someone else to to try to do that ranking. <laughs> I was actually. I was actually just meaning in terms of statistics that you've put up so far in the league. You're seventh in that entire draft class. You've put up the seventh most points which uh which is pretty impressive for a sixth rounder were you were you actually at the draft in buffalo did you go yeah so i was at the draft uh, i was there with my family and my agent and everything and i was actually invited to the combine too and i think it was the i don't remember how how many players we were that year but i think it was like 80 81 players 82 players at the combine that year and um i was early on getting getting an invite to go to the combine and uh was kind of ranked around the like end of the second round or third round pick in, in, in that draft. And um, maybe didn't have the greatest world juniors 
uh, World Championship, the Under-18 tournament, and uh, a lot of teams were probably thinking about my size a little bit, that uh, mm -hmm. maybe go for uh, a bigger player or, or something like that. So I think I kind of slipped a little bit, and uh, obviously it was a crazy experience at the draft. I mean, I was probably expecting myself to be in the second, third round, and I feel like I was just like waiting, 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 and kind of felt like it's like oh it's team forgot about me like like it was it was kind of a weird feeling but obviously i'm super super thankful for um new jersey giving me the opportunity to to get drafted well and and jesper you're you're really one of the original cast members of this of this version of this devils team that's been rebuilt right i mean you and nico are sort of the original two guys that i've been part of this build and all these young players and and obviously, last year we know what happened. Uh, your team surprised a lot of people in terms of the steps that you've taken. What's it like to have been a central character in this team, completely changing over the last several years, and and where and where you guys are at right now? Yeah, obviously it's obviously it's crazy to to think about it that way. I mean, we we both came into the league together. We're um, young, nineteen and and eighteen year old coming into the league together, and then seven years later, we're we're the last two guys that that is from that team. It's it's crazy to think about it. Now we're um, kind of like the maybe not veteran player, but more experienced players in in the team. And um, obviously, I think for for both of us, it, it means a lot that uh, we have had each other over over so many years, and uh, we've been going through a lot to, together with with different teams and a lot of. Uh, I mean, coaches changes and uh, players have left and players have come, and um, obviously, it's a it's a security for, for both of us and a, and a comfort to, to coming into the rink and uh, knowing we have each other. And uh, I mean, we're, we're great friends and we're uh, obviously getting through a lot together in everyday practices and, and all that stuff in games and uh, be still being together and now kind of turning that uh, tough trend around with this team that we had last couple of years to, to really becoming like a great organization means, I think that means a lot for us to have been a part of that whole journey you know regardless of where you were drafted you showed very quickly you were ready for the national hockey league quite often the story with younger players breaking through is that it can be a little bit too much too soon a bit overwhelming sometimes it can hurt their their development even a little bit what do you think it is about you that allowed you to take all that on at such a young age and and not necessarily be negatively impacted by doing it so young. Why do you think you were able to handle it? Well, first of all, I think I had so much experience from how I played in Sweden. I played over two years pro with with men. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I was playing with. I didn't only play junior hockey. I came from a playing pro pro hockey for for two years with older guys. I started understanding what what systems and. Uh, the importance of, of the defense and, and all that. So I, I started learning that in early instead of only playing junior and being one of those guys that score 120 points in, in junior or something, I, I get to be being one of those two, like successful teams in pro and seeing what it takes to, uh, I mean, take responsibility on the ice, being a pro uh, and all this. Stuff. So I think once I came into the NHL, I, I felt extremely ready. So one of the things about you, if people don't know, is that you spend a lot of time working on the mental end of your game and, and working with a mental coach in the offseason. How long have you been doing that? Like, what has that taught you and how much has it helped you with your NHL journey? Oh, it helped me so much. I, 
I mean, I can't even can't even say how much it it helped me. I I started with him uh, as soon as after my draft year. I went back to Sweden and played one more year. And uh, after that season, I had a decent season, but nothing nothing spectacular. But I signed my deal with New Jersey, and I felt like to to take the next step for me in my career, I I needed something like that. I I had a great workout coach that I worked with that helped me with the physical point, and I. Uh, always been a guy that skates a lot in the summer, so I feel like all the physical side I had, I was skating a lot, I had uh, great skill on the ice, I started becoming more and more uh, physically strong and uh, and all that stuff, and I, I needed to add something to to have a little confidence booster, and, um, and that was kind of like the summer when I started working with him, so I started working with him in the summer before I came to New Jersey, and that kind of changed my whole mentality to... Um, kind of see how you can structure out your uh, practices or, or games or whatever to to be more confident to to know what the plan is and uh, I mean I've been working even with him ever since my first year. So you write in a journal each day, but what's the practical application day to day? So you know your next game, for example, what will you take from those experiences and apply during the game day or just before the game or where? What areas does it actually, do you actually implement that? Well, so obviously like I, I write it before every game and it can be, it can be very similar. I mean, like most games you go into the same mindset, you go into the same routines and the sa- same uh, mentalities to, to most games, but you also, you have to understand what made you successful in that game. Was it something that needed to be changed or do I just have to like continue doing this on daily day basis? Uh, just because it worked on the on the first day, or and maybe slacked all the second, it doesn't mean you have to change too much. There was maybe just something in that preparation that needed a slightly tweak or something. And and, and usually writing writing it down for me make me remember it and make me actually like put a pen to a paper makes me actually want to do it more than just have the thought in my head or or write it on my phone or something. I feel like actually for me sitting down and take a brief moment to to write down stuff is. Uh, has helped me a lot and obviously the plan that we have set up together is um, obviously something that I don't share too much about because mm-hmm. I I think that's um, for him with with other other clients to talk about and everyone's working with different people but I think just finding a person that you trust that makes you a better version of yourself that you can um, kind of take take day to day to to make you feel how uh, understand how you can be the best version of yourself each day. And that's something that helped for me. Jesper, last week, uh, Ryan and I had Mark Scheifele of the Winnipeg Jets on this podcast, and, and he was pretty open about the relief that he felt. And, and he said like a big weight was lifted off his shoulders when he finally signed his contract extension last month with the Winnipeg Jets. And I, I think to your your journey here with the Devils, you, you signed an eight-year deal this summer, but it came after a year in which, you know, a lot of us were wondering why why it didn't happen a year before, if you remember. You, you did the one-year arbitration award contract. How stressful was that for you for a year, basically betting on yourself and, and having to wait, I guess, a year before signing your extension? I don't I don't really honestly think it was that stressful. Uh, I think it was just the right thing to do. We went into that summer when I signed a one-year deal, hoping to get a long-term deal done. But for both parts, it's... Uh, it wasn't the right time, and I was very confident that we're gonna make that work no matter what. I was confident in doing a one-year deal and and working harder, and 
um, like I said, together with my mentor coach, the, the plan was already set for me. So I didn't ever really stressed out about it. I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to stay in Jersey and I wanted to get that long-term deal one day or another. And um, I just worked through the process that way. I was never stressed out about it or anything. But at the same time, obviously, when when the season came to an end and we went into negotiation, we, I mean, we settled on an eight-year deal. Obviously, I got a I felt a lot of excitement because now I know that what we built it on last year is just something that I think is going to get better and better. And I, uh, I mean, I want to be a part of a team that can win one or multiple Stanley Cups. And I, I really have a strong belief and feeling that we were going to do that here. And I want to be part of this journey. So um, instead of a lot of relief, there was more a lot of excitement, I think. You know, Jesper, I spoke with Tom Fitzgerald, the, the your GM, um, last week um and i reached out to him because you know there were a lot of headlines made that that lindy uh benched a few guys in the third period uh, last week uh, including timo meyer and one of the things that tom talked about is that you know this is about a team that has higher expectations this year that you know the rebuild is over and now you guys as a team want to go to another level and and be a true cup contender and so there was a bit of a message there from Lindy. How, how was that received in, inside the the locker room? No, obviously, obviously we're all extremely high competitors, and all of us want to win. And uh, I mean, sometimes stuff happens in a game, or someone just don't have that day when um, you feel at hundred, or or sometimes you you have other guys that have uh, really good nights that step up and. Um, I mean, all of us wants to win, and I mean, you, so do, so does Lindy. We we put high expectations on ourselves, and uh, we all knew that sometimes that's that's the best thing that you can do for the team to uh, give some other guys good ice time and make um, give some guys a little a little booster to to get up and and work a little harder. I mean, you you saw Timo came out uh, the game after and. Um, he was playing unbelievable hockey and was a big reason to that we won that game in, in Islanders just the way he played. So uh, I think we're all just putting high expectation on ourselves. And I uh, I think, guys, when stuff like that happens, we, we can oftentimes realize why it happens. And, uh, I mean, Lindy has been great with uh, communication throughout the whole time that if we ever have questions about anything like that, we, his door is always open for, for uh, an honest discussion what happened. And I think that's what makes a great team. How are the Hughes brothers similar, and how are they different? Give us a little bit of insight here. What, what do you think, man? What are you uh, seeing? Well, they're both, they're both very similar when it comes to their confidence, at least. I mean, Luke, Luke, <laughs> Luke, is, Luke, is, Luke is coming into the, to the locker room first couple of days, and he takes over the ping pong table, and he spends wow. two hours a day at that table. So that's basically his, and I feel like myself as a rookie, I didn't come in and steal the <laughs> steal all the ping pong time from from the older guys so uh but obviously they're extremely like hard-working guys like they they laugh and they always give a big smile in in the locker room but once once we get on the ice like they're extremely hard workers they, they want to mm. get better and they want to be dominating players and um i love that about them uh and obviously obviously they are um they're they're pretty similar. I wouldn't say they're they're too different from each other, really. I guess I guess like they're gonna we're gonna see them both grow. I feel like Jack was talking a lot and like being like uh, this kind of like superstar in the beginning, and he's calming down a little bit. He's 
a little more quiet, sophisticated now, even if he has some savage moments on media. So, uh, uh, but <laughs> they're, they're, they're both they're both awesome guys to be around. They're huge competitors, and um, I mean, uh, they're they're gonna make our team better for for a lot of years coming forward. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, and it, I, the last thing I was gonna say is I I feel like Jack too has a bit of a you know, Connor Bedard's gotten a lot of attention as he should. I mean, he's a young phenom, and, and, and everyone's excited about him being in the NHL now, Jesper. But I, I wonder deep down, and you can tell me, he's your, your your teammate. I wonder if Jack is like, wait a minute, let's not forget about Mir. I'm not done ascending here as a young superstar. I mean, do you think there's any of that in there? Oh yeah, because. I think Jack is just such a big competitor. He he wants to be he wants to be the superstar, and I mean he he works for it too. And I think he has that swag and that grit that we need to a team. That uh, that's kind of what you need to uh, to be at that level. He he wants to have the attention. He wants to have the media, and I mean he wants to be a superstar player. So uh, I think we're gonna obviously see more of that going forward. Like like you should. You see every game he plays. He uh, he's a difference maker for us every time he's on the ice, and um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see, and I think obviously he's he's gonna get that attention too. Such a fun group to watch, uh, Jasper. We really appreciate your time. Before we let you go, though, feel like we we need to let people get to know you a little bit better here. You up for a little rapid fire, a little getting to know Jasper Brat rapid fire? Sure, let's do it. All right, let's do it. These are very, very hard-hitting, very important questions, so you might want to brace yourself. Uh, Eight-day road trip, four games. How many suits are you packing? Uh, at least two. So I would say probably three, probably three suits. I asked Drew Doughty that question. He said one. <laughs> yeah, I think we have, a, we have a lot of our guys in the team that just brings one. But at just least bring two. the one. I would say at least two, minimum. At least two suits. All right. Different shirts, though, right? Like three, four yeah, shirts? Eight. Yeah, yeah, different shirts for sure. Ever go to a movie by yourself? Is that something oh. you do often? Uh, not nowadays, but uh, in my younger days, in my rookie years here, I used to do a lot post-practice. Instead of just going home and sit on the couch all day, I sometimes went straight from practice and just crushed a movie in by myself. I thought it was pretty pretty calming and didn't mind it at all. Should have played the should have played more ping pong to fill your yeah, time. Apparently, as a rookie, we, that's... We, yeah, we uh, we got rid of the ping pong team for a few years, and it, it came back last year. So uh, that's probably why. Favorite band? Oof, not a huge band guy, if I'm gonna be honest. Okay. Um, just like a regular Spotify top fit top hundred list. I'm not a huge band guy. Can you name three Taylor Swift songs? <laughs> uh, it's okay if you can. Cruel Summer has been going around a little bit lately, I guess. Uh, probably not too many more than that. No, not a huge Taylor Swift fan. Pierre, can you? You must be able to, P. Uh, if if my kids were here, they would name several. I, I am useless in this department. Yeah, uh, are you? I agree with that. Are you good on the ice at chirping? Are you a good chirper out there? No, I usually never. I usually never do. I'm a pretty boring guy out there. I just let people chirp me. I usually give them a silent smile or something like that. I usually not. I usually try to stay stay away from that. Funniest teammate. Oh, funniest teammate. We we have a bunch of guys that are hilarious. I would say Mikey McLeod and Nate Bastion are, are a deadly couple together. They're they're hilarious. They always have some great stories. So hopefully to hear those guys on your guys' podcast soon. Right on. Uh, last one for you. Complete day off. 
Don't even need to come to the rink. You got three meals to take care of. How many are you making yourself? How many are you ordering in? How many are you going out to eat in a restaurant? Like what's your, what's your flow on a day off? Oh, probably definitely going out for uh, coffee and breakfast. That's like a classic for me. Get up in the morning, just put some sweatpants on, go for a little walk and have a coffee somewhere. Uh, Probably come home and chill for a little bit and maybe um, order some food then and then probably going out or cooking for dinner. So I'll probably, I'll probably order or eat out at probably twice at that time. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, like Pierre, you'd be eating out all three, all three meals, right? If we were NHL <laughs> guy, like all three. Are you three. kidding me? Um, I say on a practice day when we have lunch and dinner, I probably order food both of those times. So, but but also you guys, I've I've talked to uh, management guys about this. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like you guys can eat three three meals a day at the rink. Like you guys have your own chefs and everything now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we're very very great taken care of they, they do a great job here at the ring so we're we're very spoiled with that you got a got your back story for us jesper the name of the podcast is got your back we love hearing uh stories from guys and girls about uh people in their life who had their back or specific stories what do you got for us i don't think i have a specific story but i i think it's just like all of those small times when when something has happened in, in hockey or something things are not going your way and and you have family that that sticks up for you and is there for you if you if you need them or you need to talk to them or uh, they take your take your mind off of hockey. Uh, I mean, it's it's probably the easiest and most simple things that happen. I mean, over over a quarter for a season and, and especially since you start playing hockey, there there's a, so many times during even during a year that um, things are really tough and then you need people to to be there by your side and you you need someone to talk to and uh, I mean make you feel make you feel like like everything is okay and uh, I mean my family is it's definitely been a part of that for for so many years and ever since my career started so uh, not a specific story because there, there's just too many times when I uh, needed someone to to talk to or just get your mind off of hockey for a little bit great stuff great stuff Jesper thanks so much for taking some time uh, and good luck have fun this year yeah thank you guys. thanks for having me take care all right That'll wrap up the podcast this week. Big thanks for your downloads and your subscriptions. Uh, and a thanks to the New Jersey Devils and Jesper Bratt as well. Uh, by the way, if you get a chance, go leave us a review over on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on all our channels and social media channels as well. We'll chat with you again next week, folks. Have a great finish to the week. Talk soon. Cheers. Cheers.